Welcome to the latest in our podcast series looking at the approach of global financial regulators to non-financial misconduct and whistleblowing. I'm Duncan Campbell, a managing associate in Linklater's financial regulation group focusing on contentious regulatory work. Hello, I'm Gavin Lewis, a partner in our dispute resolution team. This is the latest in this series of podcasts, which build on our publication last March, reviewing the role that non-financial misconduct, or NFM, is playing in the assessment of the suitability of individuals to work in financial services. Our review is available on the Linklater's website, and a link to it can be found with the show notes to this podcast episode. It addresses the position in 12 key financial centres around the world, and it should be of interest to people in senior management positions, legal and compliance teams, and anyone with responsibility for whistleblowing programs. Today we are going to consider this topic from an EU perspective by taking a look at recent updates to the joint ESMA and EBA guidelines on the assessment of the suitability of members of the management body and key function holders under the Fifth Capital Requirements Directive and MIFID II. These were last revised in 2017. We're going to refer to these as the guidelines in this podcast. Those of you who have read our publication will recall that we talked about the guidelines and considered the extent to which the version then in force might allow NFM to be considered as part of assessments of suitability. We considered that uh, in our publication. In December 2020, Elizabeth McCall, a member of the Supervisory Board of the ECB, made a speech about bank boards and supervisory expectations, in which she highlighted the increased role that DCB banking supervision intends to play in conjunction with national supervisors across the EU in exercising quality control over the appointment of board members. She drew attention to the fact that the ECB will scrutinise matters that might impair a board member's suitability, including criminal convictions, ongoing legal proceedings, involvement in misconduct or turning a blind eye to misconduct committed by peers. In early July this year, the EBA and ESMA published a revised final version of the guidelines, The revisions have been made to accommodate changes brought in by changes to CRD5 and the Investment Firms Directive, which impact the assessment of suitability of members of the management body. The revised guidelines will apply with effect from 31 December 2021, when the 2017 version will be repealed. They will apply to institutions on a solo and consolidated basis across the EU, as well as competent authorities. This includes firms, whether or not headquartered in the EU, with EMAA coverage that's sufficient to require them to assess members of their management body and heads of relevant functions, pursuant to MIFID II and CRD. For this reason, some multinational firms may need to factor the guidelines into their firm-wide policies. So, with this backdrop in mind, Gavin, can you talk us through the main changes? The guidelines provide for closer scrutiny of the individual accountability of board members. They also clarify when and how the emergence of new material facts might result in the ECB reassessing bank directors' suitability. This latest version of the guidelines say for the first time that assessing the knowledge, experience and skill requirements of board members should now include consideration of their ability to identify manage and mitigate the risk that firms facilitate money laundering and financing of terrorism. 
Interestingly, in light of the recent joint paper in the UK on monitoring and promoting diversity and inclusion in financial services, this latest version of the guidelines also emphasises the importance of a balanced board in terms of gender. It calls on firms to take steps to foster a more gender-balanced roster of staff in management positions and to ensure a more gender-balanced pool of candidates for management positions. The guidelines now also specifically set out that having employee representatives of an underrepresented gender alone is not enough to ensure that the management body has an appropriate gender balance. The firms need to go further than this by looking at the gender balance of their senior leadership pipeline and also ensuring this balance when offering opportunities for people to attend management training. Firms are also required to have policies in place that protect against discrimination based on gender, race, colour, ethnic or social origin, genetic features, religion or belief, or membership of a national minority, property, birth, disability, age or sexual orientation. In the context of this podcast series looking at the role of NFM in assessing the competence of individuals working in financial services, given the comments by Elizabeth McCall we mentioned at the start of this podcast, do the revised guidelines mention NFM specifically? No, not specifically. You'll recall in our report that we concluded that broadly speaking, when assessing individual suitability, national, and in this case supranational financial regulators, tended to focus on financial misconduct and criminal convictions, which could include convictions for non-financial misconduct, but tended to focus on dishonesty offences for obvious reasons. The broader types of non-criminal, non-financial misconduct, like bullying or harassment, we found were less likely to feature in these assessments. The guidelines reflect this, so in part eight, which covers assessments of reputation, honesty and integrity, firms are told to consider criminal convictions and financial misconduct. Okay, so no specific rules then on NFM, but in our report we saw that where there was an appetite to consider non-criminal, non-financial misconduct like bullying, um, rather than introduce new rules specifically aimed at NFM, regulators tended to flex and expand the application of pre-existing rules and guidance. There were parts of the last edition of these guidelines that we thought could be used in this way. For example, they defined suitability as the degree to which an individual was deemed to have good repute. Uh, Suitability was also expressed as covering honesty, integrity and independence of mind. It's conceivable that some types of NFM might impact on suitability according to this definition, subject of course to the surrounding circumstances. Yes, so these provisions do remain, and that means, I think, that the scope for considering non-financial misconduct may still sometimes be there. In fact, some of the new amendments will arguably make it easier to consider non-financial misconduct as part of assessments under the guidelines. At paragraph 77, the guidelines instruct firms to consider the reason for any dismissal from employment or a position of trust when assessing integrity. There is new additional language in this paragraph which indicates that this should include a review of any other evidence or serious allegation based on relevant, credible and reliable information that suggests that an individual has committed misconduct. There is also new language encouraging firms 
and national competent authorities to consider other adverse reports with relevant, credible and reliable information when assessing reputation, honesty and integrity. It gives us an example, information coming out of whistleblowing complaints. Given that non-financial misconduct complaints are often made via firms' whistleblowing channels, for obvious reasons, that reference in particular suggests that they may look to include allegations of non-financial misconduct here. The changes certainly seem broad enough to cover serious instances of non-financial misconduct, the most severe of which may well result in criminal offences. So the question remains whether it is broad enough or will be interpreted as being broad enough to capture the arguably less serious examples of misconduct that might still have a significant impact on the culture of an organisation and psychological safety of its staff. In her speech, Elizabeth McCall indicated that the ECB intended to pay closer attention to reassessment, uh, particularly where new facts come to light that raise material concerns about a director's suitability. Do the revised guidelines say anything new here? There are actually two or three new paragraphs in the section covering reassessments, so the ECB has followed through on this. These remind firms and national competent authorities to consider the credibility and reliability of any allegation that triggers a reassessment. It goes on to state that institutions should note that the absence of criminal convictions alone may not be enough to dismiss allegations of wrongdoing. That is really interesting, actually, as it picks up on exactly the point that misconduct might not be sufficient to warrant a criminal conviction, but firms may nonetheless want to consider it when assessing fitness and properness of staff uh, because of its potential harmful impact on their firm culture. Again, it does seem to be giving firms scope to work these considerations into suitability assessments. It isn't clear, however that this was the intention, which means that there is scope for this new language to be interpreted differently, both by different national competent authorities and between firms. This can cause problems where individuals move between firms and conduct that might, under the revised guidelines, be considered relevant by one firm is disregarded by another or vice versa. That'll certainly be an area to um, watch then. And, and that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much, Gavin. And as I mentioned at the start, if you would like to read our full report, there is a link to it accompanying the show notes to this episode. We also have a range of materials to support financial services firms navigating the assessment of senior managers and other staff. These can be found on our linklaters.com page and our client knowledge portal. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.